0: In this episode, my guest is Caleb Pilchlow. We have talked about organizational and team agility, some of the successful actions at the executive level, tools, retrospectives and more. So, join us to learn and join us to get inspired. Hi Caleb, thank you for joining.
1: Happy to be here.
0: Please tell us a little bit about yourself and your role.
1: Philip and I work for Anchor at Consulting. And Anchor is, you know, a larger, a growing company and there's a lot of different areas that we work with clients from turnaround and restructuring to kind of doing a deeper dive into data and technology. But a lot of what I do is work with companies who are looking for growth. My expertise is really in kind of helping them become more agile, both at the organization level, which I think we'll touch on too. So instilling some of those core tenets of, of being agile. So the transparency, collaboration, things along those lines and using agility to kind of solve larger questions and then also working with more uh, product focused teams so deliver products iteratively that you know fit market needs and and customer fit
0: what is agility Uh, how do you define it
1: it's one of those things where i'd say it's tough to to define it in a sentence or so to me agility is is really being willing to you know constantly adapt to meet customer needs or market fit I think when you think of kind of these large projects, a lot of times people think we have like a scope and this is exactly what we're going to be doing, take a look, deliver it and then it's there. I think when you're being more agile or you have agility, it's hey, you know, we're constantly learning new things. We're willing to adjust based on what customers are telling us, what, you know, the market is dictating and, you know, we're delivering value quickly.
0: Can you give us some examples on what did you see in, in between like tactical and strategic agility in your past project
1: you know some of the feel like i've had the the full gambit of of positive negative in between experiences and and i wouldn't even say they're negative experiences just it's almost like if you think about being agile as kind of a maturity model it's you know people are earlier on in the stages and some people are a little bit later but i think what kind of differentiates things i say success success in a lot of these is openness to change, Um, and and I think this kind of delivering with agility is is different than a lot of people have done in the past. A lot of people in the past are still do it now, and it's still a successful way to deliver products is have a kind of clearly defined scope, and then you're delivering it. And I think there's a lot of checks and balances in in that approach, and I think there's less so. The most successful teams kind of are more open to trust, collaboration, kind of core tenets of, of what agility is. So again, full gambit um, for a lot of engagements I've been on, but I think those two are a lot of what separate.
0: So where do you start? How do you balance organizational agility and the team agility?
1: Yeah, and, and, and I think that's, it's a tough balance too, because I will say to have kind of team agility, I think there needs to be a, you know, a buy-in at the organization level. It's tough to do kind of like, uh an uprising to overthrow kind of standard methods and, and do agile. So you really do need everyone to be bought in. But I think when you're kind of pitching agile to organizations, leaders, you know, the, the leadership team, it, it's tough to say, Hey, you know, you should be agile. And it's kind of just a buzzword people throw around and they're like, yeah, you know, I've, I've, I know some other organizations are doing it. Maybe it could be cool, but then it kind of fades out. Cause if you try mm-hmm. it once maybe for a proof of concept or something like that, and then people are like, well, it didn't solve all our problems. So you kind of lack a little bit of buy So what I try and do is I kind of phrase it more as, you know, what are you trying to solve? How are you trying to get better? And mm-hmm. I think a lot of times the answers to those questions, you know, agile can be the solution. So a lot of times some problems people are having are, Hey, you know, we worked on this huge project. We delivered after 15 months, mm-hmm. but in those 15 months, the customer didn't get anything new. There was no, there's no improvements made in production. If it's on in production, then it doesn't totally matter. So there's that aspect. Hey, we haven't delivered something in a long time. It takes a long time for us to deliver The other aspect of, of how you kind of get the organization buy-in is you deliver a, a really interesting product, but if no one uses it, mm-hmm. then it doesn't really matter. It's like the tree falls in the forest. No one hears it. You know, if you look at it from the getting leadership leaders to buy in, Hey, you, I want to get things to customers faster and I want to build things people really use. And that's to me, kind of like the core problems that we're solving finding a great customer fit because you're always kind of getting that feedback and iterating, And then two, you're delivering, you have a potentially shippable product or a potentially shippable increment at the end of each sprint. Or if it's Kanban, you're still moving fast in kind of a different way. Those are kind of the tenants. And then how do you kind of use it? You say, hey, we're really focused on building transparency so everyone can see what's going on. Collaboration between these different teams. It's no longer just tech over here, product there and analytics somewhere here. We're all kind of working together here. I, kind of, I think when you kind of blend all of those things together, it's really easy, not easy, but it's a lot easier to get buy-in from the, from the leadership. And I think if you establish that, then it gets a lot easier to do kind of the team aspect as well.
0: And what kind of actions you have seen at the executive level for successful implementations?
1: Yeah, and, and it's hard too, right? Kind of in a certain way for a while and someone's like, hey, let's totally change this up. you think too if someone's gotten to that leadership level their things kind of status quo have probably worked well for them in one way or another but i think the biggest shift in the the way leaders can be successful is you know to have trust in in the people who report to them so in a lot of scenarios organizations certain leaders want to make every single decision Hmm. like hey if there's a scope change I, i totally want to be kind of the decider or Uh, even if something like the color of, of a page or, you know, if we're talking of digital products, so things like that, it's like, sometimes leaders want to be really, really involved in this process, you're really trusting the team who's responsible for delivering the work to be able to make these fast decisions. If they're unable to do so, then you get into scenarios like this. Let's say you're using a scrum methodology. You want to make a, a change during the sprint or something along those lines. And you actually then have to circle back to leadership or stakeholders saying, Hey, we're making this change and then wait for a kind of specific approvals and all these checks and balances and change requests you know you're not really being agile exactly so so it's really kind of just the idea of being able to trust others to make those decisions and empower them to do so or else there's really no point in kind of using the methodology
0: how do you see team agility forming
1: i think the big shift there to be a successful team is you know you don't need to throw out the different departments but you need to realign in a sense where typically you kind of have Let's say you have IT, maybe you have a specific like data and analytics, maybe you have an architecture group, maybe you have marketing, we'll say operations, you know, you have all these kind of different verticals, but you really need to then align those groups under products because you're really no longer having a project. Uh, You know, it's not saying, hey, we're going to do this nine month uh, project and we need XYZ resources. It's like, no, you're now aligning under a product. That should be ongoing, constantly improved, shifting based on customer needs and all of these things. So kind of shifting from the idea of, hey, we're all kind of operating in our silos and yeah, we'll come together to work on this project to, hey, we're all championing, championing, I think, yep, that's the word, (laughs) uh, you know, product together and and that's really the team and it's open collaboration and we're all working together. It's not, hey, uh, actually, you know, IT says no or marketing thinks that it's just, hey, we're all trying to just make this product as good as it can be. Yes, there's going to be limitations based on technical feasibility and things like that, but that's all going to be worked out within the group. And, and, you know, there should be kind of a a lens to what is the organizational goals and objectives. I think that's really when you start tying into decisions there to organizational goals and and strategic objectives. That's when you get really successful as a group.
0: Yeah. Also, this ties back to even maybe the portfolio goals or portfolio strategy. Exactly.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a great point where, it's probably it's happening at levels too, where a lot of the organizations, different products, you know, maybe they all are kind of rolling up to a, a larger product or a lar- you know, product portfolio. And there are goals for that product portfolio that you're mentioning. And then how does this product portfolio help the organization? Maybe there's a organization goal of increasing revenue by a certain percentage or increasing brand loyalty by a certain metric, you know, all of these different things. And so how does it all kind of tie together? Is, mm-hmm. is vital?
0: Yes. So what is the role of the tools in agility?
1: I, I think they're, they're pretty important. Not to necessarily say the tool is what makes you collaborative or the tool is what makes people trust each other, but it's, you know, it could facilitate that type of growth. So for example, I think in the past you used like a Trello board or I, th- I think we've, you know, from working together too, we both actually love kind of just the in-person whiteboarding and yeah. doing it like that. But for example, you know, if you have a board that's up there for everyone to see in the entire office, and people can see, hey, this is kind of where the backlog's prioritized. This is where this key feature is from a progress perspective. You know, it hasn't even been started. You know, and that can raise flags. Just being kind of transparent, so everyone can see the board together. That that hammers home the idea of transparency there, and and being able to whether it's a Trello or you're going to use Jira or whatever it may be, if it's a tool that kind of says. All a product person has to do to reach out to an architect is something is just at them in a chat, and you quickly going back and forth. That really helps hammer home the collaboration. And if you have just kind of various tools and products that can facilitate what your goals are, then I think they're they're crucial. Mm-hmm.
0: So, what is one experience shaped your perspective on agility?
1: I think one that really has, and I think I mentioned a little bit earlier, is the idea where it's it's hard to really have like a grassroots movement where you don't know, have, you know, the experience of, okay, there's just like this little agile team that the company going to try to do, but leadership doesn't really think agile is maybe the best approach. You know, they've tried it at a different company and then they've come here and they're just like, to be honest, waterfall is kind of tried and true. We'll be uh-huh. able to see red, yellow, green for our uh-huh. risks things along those lines. Yeah. And if you don't have that type of buy-in from, from leaders. You're not going to just say like, Hey, we have a, cause you could have a, you know, really smart, talented group of, you know engineers product people you know a whole great team but it, again if they're not empowered to make their own decisions if they can't quickly shift and adapt in all of these things then they're a little bit set up for failure because you're almost not doing any sort of methodology where you're not you know fully really into to doing you know agile or waterfall it's kind of a, a weird you know scrumfall fall i think is what it's called sometimes uh-huh. too it, it's tough because no one's really put in a position to succeed there. So I mean, I do, I do think like a POC or proof of concept could work. But if you do have that leadership buy-in and people who are open to, to new new ideas,
0: what are some of the opportunities you have seen for positive impact uh, or shift?
1: So I, I think of one example that I, I was working with a team somewhat recently where we were building a, a totally new product that would be leveraged by basically salesmen. So it's, it was a digital tool that they could be used. When we started off the project, we had an initial idea of like, hey, this is, because it's a totally new product, mm-hmm. which I'm saying it's a totally new product. And they were hoping to really get it out before like the holiday rush in a sense, mm-hmm. Um trying to deliver it in November, prior to everything, get people trained and up to speed for that kind of first release, continue to release from there. And we had this idea of what we would be doing and we thought we did the right market research and all of these things. We kind of had our first demo and where we kind of had a uh-oh moment of this doesn't feel like it's the right fit. We're not getting the type of feedback and response we, we need, but because of the way we built the tool, which was potentially shippable at the first, at the end of the first iteration, we were able to quickly adjust, get that feedback, build on what we've already delivered, then to then make a product that people actually liked and used, and it was successfully delivered and deployed. But the thing is, if we kind of stuck with the idea of, Hey, here's our original scope, Mm -hmm. we think we did enough research, so we're just going to keep on building and we'll get feedback once it's kind of fully there in November. Well, no one would have used it and it would have kind of been a giant flop because everyone was open to shifting and changing. We actually delivered something that had way higher usage than we think we'd delivered if we just kind of stuck with the original ideas.
0: Very cool. Let's talk a little bit about retrospectives.
1: Yeah. Yeah, retros are, are kind of a tough idea for a lot of people where you're supposed to kind of be open and honest and, and have these kind of hey, I think we maybe could do that, you know, improve in this way and it, it feels a little awkward for some people who aren't used to that type of environment. Especially if you're coming from like the more technical side too, where in a lot of projects, you're kind of just, you're writing code and you get feedback on it through defects and things like that. But you're not really saying, hey, this is how the process could be better. Um, So I think it's a huge jump. From a retro perspective, it's something really hard to get good at. What I've seen teams do well is when they've kind of, when teams kind of have that established working agreement that everyone's bought into and, and people are kind of forget a little bit about, hey, this is the department that I report up to. And it's more of hey, we're actually kind of all equals here, and we're all trying to get better together. And it's kind of seen as like hey, we're just trying to help. It's not hey, tech says product is doing something wrong, product says tech wrong. It's hey, no, we're all just the same team trying to get better. Mm-hmm. I think that's the way you get the best feedback in a retro. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it could be either nobody says anything, or it gets a little finger pointy, or people get offended. You know, so it's definitely a tough, a tightrope to to walk. But what are your thoughts on kind of the the retro and how effective have you seen it?
0: I think it is one of the most efficient way of communication and the the safest. Retros can be safe and done anonymously.
1: I haven't totally seen it done anonymously, but I can definitely see people being more open and honest, you know, through that approach. Yeah. And then if you kind of use that as kind of a springboard, I'm sure a lot of people's anonymous thoughts others have kind of had before as long as everyone's kind of being respectful and and really everyone has the same goal of hey we just want to get better yes uh, I think that's probably opens up some really good discussion
0: yes and the team needs to see what are the actions taken if something is being talked about what was what was done what we were able to do or what we were not uh, then coming back and following up
1: yeah exactly and I think if you don't take the items and actionize them so you know people kind of check out a little bit they're like well why am i even kind of giving this information when nothing is gonna change that's how you kind of people check out so i think yeah creating action items based on the feedback is probably the most important aspect
0: yes indeed so then let me ask you this question Um, (laughs) (laughs) um when we first uh, started working together, right? You came, yeah. you introduced, hey, we're going to work together. I had no idea. How do you determine, what's your approach? What's your methodology to work with the people that you coach with, right?
1: Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think it has to be really personalized. So I feel like step one is getting to know the other person, kind of building that relationship. hmm and figuring out what are their goals? What is kind of their background? What perspective are they coming from? Mm-hmm. And establishing a one-on-one comfortability between the two uh, people. And then from there, it's, hey, let's kind of, like a lot of things we talked about, hoping to collaborate, let's build trust. Let's kind of do all these things kind of in our, between each other. And then hopefully we can start improving that to others in the organization if that's one of your kind of key objectives. So really kind of being a sounding board and kind of just having that one-on-one Relationship, I feel like is is kind of step one for a lot of of what I try to do. And then from there, it's, okay, these are your goals that really came from you. Maybe I facilitated and helped us kind of think of them, but they're really your goals. And then, so how can I be as helpful as possible to achieve those? Because that's going to help you. It's going to help the organization you're working with. It's going to help the the people that you're, the other people you're working with. So I I feel like if you kind of keep that mindset, it it can lead to a really helpful kind of relationship.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. What do you like most about your job?
1: I mean, all of the uh, pandemic has definitely made it a little difficult, but I really love connecting with people and working with different clients, new clients to solve whatever problems are going on you know, in their organization, for themselves, what they've kind of found is to be issues. So kind of new challenging problems with with a variety of people that I feel like I can become close with and build relationships with. Because um, then it can, to me, that's fun, right? It's yeah. kind of work. To solve problems, mm-hmm. uh, and, and for the most part, it's everyone wants to get better. I mean, I, I'm looking to get better at what I do. You know, people who I'm working with are looking to get better at what they do, and I feel like a lot of times we can kind of help each other, which is great. Mm-hmm. Again, I, I really enjoy that aspect. I also, you know, from a a little bit of a more technical side, I really like building customer facing digital products mm-hmm. that really kind of help the end user. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the organizations I work with, the people I work with, kind of have that similar passion. So, again, it's kind of being able to build interesting products with people that I have strong relationships with is a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, it sounds fun. And it is. So, uh, hats off to you. I really enjoyed working with you. I didn't know what to expect. So, (laughs) once you said, hey, I'm wrapping up and no more, I'm like, no! Caleb, don't go!
1: (laughs) So, it was
0: was great, great experience.
1: it, It definitely was from my end as well. And I feel like you started in like January or something yes. like
0: that? Yes,
1: yes. There from to now, I mean, I feel like it's kind of been a from an organization level and, and kind of the norms and best practices that are established there is kind of a, a great jump. And honestly, they started from a, a good place, too, where people were wanting to get better and kind of change how they work a little bit and, and kind of find ways to improve and deliver kind of the best possible products. And I feel like you're kind of helping facilitate that now. And, and it's been a really cool journey to have a a very small part in, but it was, it's been fun. And it's been fun getting to know you two on on a personal level. Definitely enjoyed it.
0: In this episode, Caleb has shared his expertise on successful and impactful agile implementations beyond Let's Be Agile buzzword. His knowledge comes from engagements with a variety of companies from startups to big corporations. He also gave examples on achieving agility buying in at the organizational level. His perspective on partnering in tactical and strategic agility is key to getting better in this journey for all of us. Thank you for sharing, Caleb.